Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. So welcome to everybody. Want to take a quick moment to welcome all of our guests, all of our partners, all of our attendees. Uh, welcome to church wherever you are streaming from. We're delighted to have you with us. Um, hey, before I get too far, I wanted to make sure everyone knows that next week's a big deal for us. We're going to be in our training session to launch back into reopening uh, on the 27th. So want to really uh, share that. We're very, very excited about it. Many of you all know Palm Beach County moved into phase two uh, this week. And so that signaled the good news for us about reopening. want to encourage everybody to remember exactly what Pastor Trevor said. For those of us who are Ready, feel comfortable, feel safe, feel ready to come back to worship. We're going to be doing that on both of our campuses, our uh, West Campus and our East Campus. For those of you that are not yet ready, nothing to fear. You're going to continue to find us right here streaming right into your home from uh, wherever you are. So just want to make sure everybody is aware of that. Hey, take a moment, grab your Community of Hope app, grab your uh, Bibles. We're going to jump right in. I've got a lot of stuff I want to move us through today. We are in week five of a series we're calling Five Things to Grow Your Faith. And what we're doing right now, many of y'all know this, uh, what we're doing right now is we are talking about growing in our faith, and we're, we're talking about the five most, uh, 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 I guess, popular things that people point to whenever they're asked the question, what is it that has had the greatest uh, impact on your faith? So we're building a series about that, uh, right on that on that topic. We are in week five. We had a preliminary talk in week one, which means we have one week to go. So we're going to give you one more this week. We're going to move into space. Uh, this space next week can give you one more. And so we're pumped about this. If you've been following along, we've sort of built a series around these five things. Uh, and let me just catch you up real quick. The first one is simply this, practical teaching. Teaching. And what we've been saying about practical teaching, when people move into arenas and atmospheres where they can understand God's word and apply it to their lives, their faith bumps up. So that's the first thing what we talked about. If you're taking notes, you may want to make note of this, write this down. We talked secondly about providential relationships. That was number two, an important topic. If you're with us last week, uh, Pastor Trevor did, I think, a great job talking to us about uh, the third one which is private disciplines. And here's what I love that we talked about in that. In private disciplines, these are those personal disciplines that you add to your life, often when no one else is looking, that help you connect with God and understand uh, who he is. So uh, this is really important. Beth, Beth and I begin every single day together with, the, with coffee and doing our devotions together. It's one of my favorite uh, times of the day. My my responsibility in my house is I get I am to get the coffee ready the night before so that it's it's ready when uh, we get up to do our devotions. And Beth's responsibility at the end of the day is to get the water ready for bed and and to rub my feet. Actually, not rub my feet. I just wanted to say that. So 
She doesn't do that, but she does get the water ready when we go to bed. But first thing we do when we get up in the morning, we're having this devotional time. We're spending time with Jesus, and uh, our faith is bumping up. And, and we, we've been doing this for years, and we're growing in our faith uh, as a result of that. So when Pastor Trevor was talking about this last week, uh, the two things that he keyed on that were really impactful for me, I know they're probably different things for you, but I want to tell you what I noticed. I noticed the two words that Jesus said in the text that Pastor Trevor was talking to us about. And, and Jesus, if you remember, was, uh, he, w- he was talking about private disciplines and doing certain things in secret. And then he said this, the father who sees in secret will reward you. And so to me, the two words that I thought were most powerful, first of all, obviously the word secret, the father sees in secret. So a lot of these things that we're building into our lives, Jesus is seeing that the father is seeing that. And then of course, that he was rewarding those who are uh, embracing these disciplines. So these are the things that are most often talked about. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to go into our fourth of five things, and I want to give it to you right now. The fourth one is this, if you're taking notes, and we call, I want to call it this, pivotal circumstances. Pivotal circumstances. God uses pivotal circumstances in our lives to draw us to consider his goodness, become aware of his presence, and to show you that he is with you in your life and that he has the last word over your life. This is a powerful, uh, powerful truth. And today, what I want to do, I want to walk us through a a story that uh, even when I mention the story, uh, many of us who've knocked around church at all, you're going to remember the story. You're going to know how the story ends. But really what I want to do today in, in this text is I want to I poke around at some of the not obvious things that are in the story. And, and, and I, I want us to move in this and have some deeper understanding of this. And the story is John chapter 11. And in John chapter 11, we know this is the story of the death of Lazarus. And uh, I want to almost say at, at this part right now in my talk, if you're listening to me, I want to say, hey, sermon alert, sermon alert. Uh, I want to move us into some things today and talk about some things that, are, that have got some challenge to them, okay, that have some mystery attached to them. And so, Really, for these next few minutes, I mean, my, my goal, my hope, my prayer is that you pay very, very careful attention to what I want to move us into because there's a lot for us to consider uh, in this text. And even, in fact, before we do it and before we jump into it, probably what I want to do is I want to pray for us. Can, can, you, can we pray together? Let's pray right now. Lord, I want to ask you uh, that you would just that you might contend with us in this moment, uh, that you would meet with us, Lord, as we are gathering with you, Lord. I, I know all the time that we, we pr- pray prayers like this and we say, Lord, will you be with us? And we know that you're already here. So my prayer really isn't so much that, but it would be that, Lord God, because you're here, would you help us toward a deeper understanding? Would you give us uh, a vision so that we can understand the truths that you would want us to know and apply to our lives through this powerful story. 
where we pray together in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. This is um, interesting, uh, a powerful story. And it's a powerful story because uh, of what I want to move us into. And let me, just, let me just tell you, first of all, this is what we know. This is the story about Lazarus is also in many ways a story about Mary and Martha. Now, Mary and Martha and Lazarus were brother and sister. And we know uh, historically that the Bible tells us that Jesus never really had a home that he called his own on, on the earth during his ministry. But if he were to uh, have a place that he would probably be most likely to call his home, it would be the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. These were, uh, many believe, scholars believe, among Jesus' closest friends. And so whenever uh, Jesus was in the uh, ministering in the town or the region uh, of Bethany, uh, we believe that Jesus often stayed at the home of Mary and Martha uh, and Lazarus. And so it would almost be like if you had a, a, a really good friend that visited you in your home often enough that, and they always stayed maybe in the same room, that it became to be known as like, this is their room, you know? And this is kind of what we think was going on in, th- in this deal. And, uh, and so the beginning of the story opens up uh, in verse 1 of chapter 11. It simply says this, now the man Lazarus was sick. And so this is how John gets us into the story. But real quickly, we begin to understand a little bit something different. So the, the girls, Mary and Martha, are going to reach out to Jesus and let him know. And we think historically that Jesus was probably around about three days walk from where they were when Lazarus got sick. And so the, the, the sisters get word to Jesus that their brother Lazarus is sick. And in verse three, we learn some interesting detail. It simply says this. They, they tell someone, they get word to Jesus, and this is what they say. They say, the one you love is sick. And so uh, we, we, you know, we learn some things here because we learn, first of all, we learn how close in relationship Jesus was with, 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 with Lazarus. And then we learn, secondly, that when they tell him that, they didn't even have to say the name. Jesus would know. And so after that, it's sort of interesting. We get down to verse 4, and Jesus makes this interesting statement. He says, this sickness that Lazarus has will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And then we get down to verse 6, and it says this. So when, when Jesus hears that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now, now I want to draw your attention to that because, um, and, and in fact, I, I want to say this. If you're listening to me right now on the weekend, or maybe you're listening in a podcast at another time, here's what I want to draw your attention to. If you're a Bible nerd like I am, and you're someone that loves the scriptures, uh, Whenever I read stories like this, these stories add to my understanding of the veracity or the truthfulness, the reliability of the Bible. Because here's the thing I think about. If, if, if this were something that was just made up, if this was not historically accurate, anything like that, this story would not have made the cut. And here's why. There's so much about this story that seems in a way off 
I mean, Jesus learns about Lazarus, his good friend being sick, and what does our Lord do? He stays where he is two more days. I mean, there's something about that. When we read that, there's something, you know, I don't know about you, the first time I read it, I had to read it more than once. I mean, it did make sense to me. And then, you know, so these always sort of add to the reliability of the Bible's trustworthiness because this story is bizarre in a way. And, and, and here's what I want to say about this. This is where it gets challenging. This is unique and potentially challenging because it suggests that sometimes God chooses to be glorified in our problems, in our difficulties, in our struggles, even this, in our griefs. And, and, and this is something that we have to wrestle for. And in fact, if, if you're like me, the first time I really read this, I, I need to be honest, I'm not sure I even had a category for this. Because again, there's so much of this story that, that has so much mystery attached to it, it's problematic in a way. And I draw your attention to this because this is really kind of what I want to focus on. Sometimes God is glorified in our struggles. I remember that uh, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, he said this. He said that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. Not in our strength, but in our weakness. And then James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, I want to I show you this passage. Maybe you write it down and you read this whole chapter later. James says it this way. He says, hey, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And then he writes in verse four, let perseverance finish its work so that you will be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. It's a challenge, right? I mean, this is what I always think about whenever I, I, I read this story. You know, most of us, if we were going to choose for God to be glorified in our lives, we'd rather he be glorified in our success. We'd rather that he be glorified in everything that's going right. We'd rather be glorif- him be glorified in all of our, you know, our, our triumphs, not our failures, but our celebrations, not our griefs. But we cannot ignore that there is this undeniable interconnection with the difficult moments and the potential to grow in our faith. Moment of confession. I'm a big baseball fan. Many, many of you all know that. And I've been trying to reconcile this summer, you know, listening to baseball games, knowing that all of the crowd noise on the baseball games is, is, is not real. So I've had to kind of wrestle with that. It's such a weird year, right? But, I, you know, whenever I, I, I think about how, you know, we like God to be glorified in our lives, the image for me of an athlete crossing home plate, you know, after a walk-off grand slam when they grab the cross and they point to the, you know, the heavens and they sort of make the sign of the cross, that, that's normally how we want God to be glorified. We don't want God to be glorified in our struggles, we don't want God to be glorified in our difficult moments. And this, this story sort of cracks the door open 
sometimes there are those moments. You know, one of the things I've noticed as a pastor, and I can't really explain it, but I've, I've noticed it now for, you know, three decades of pastoral work, really, that, that, that sometimes the, when we face difficult and dark moments in our lives, I don't know why it is that for some people it's those very moments that repel them from God and then there, there are others who face those very same moments and their faith just grows exponentially. I can't really put my finger on it, but I can tell you this. Over 30 years of ministry, I've, I've seen that happen all the time. And in this story, you know, this is, this is one of those moments. C.S. Lewis, uh, who is really one of the great apologists of you know, this last century, uh, he wrote uh, a book uh, entitled A Grief Observed, where he was writing uh, about the difficulty uh, and the faith struggle he went through when his wife died of cancer. And he called the moment of her death, I think I remember him calling it this great midnight madness that descended upon his life. And uh, years later, uh, I think it was, he wrote a book called The Problem of Pain, and C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, God doesn't best use the pleasures in our lives because we can ignore pleasure. And he went on and he wrote, he said, but pain, pain it is, it insists on being attended to. God whispers to our pleasures and speaks in our conscience, but God shouts to us in our pain. And it is this, our pain, that is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I don't, I don't, I don't know how to reconcile all that. I mean, there's mystery to it, but here's what we can't ignore. The scripture reminds us that God is gonna use pivotal moments And most usually, those pivotal moments are the dark moments in our lives to cause the greatest growth in our trust, actually, of who God is. I want to show you a picture that uh, my wife showed me this uh, past week. Uh, Many of you all know that our um, national west, the, the western part of our country, it's on fire. And uh, she has a friend uh, that lives in the mountains. Uh, This is their home. And uh, she says that uh, she tells this incredible story that that the the wife who lives in this home, uh, they saw the fire coming and they thought, you know, we got to get out of here and we're going to we're going to lose everything that we we own. And they, they, they drove out of their driveway with that thought, with that clear presumption that there wasn't going to be anything left. But uh, the wife, who is a person of faith, um, she did a prayer walk around their house. And, 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 and then they drove out of the, you know, the neighborhood, drove, drove out of their property, and they came back the next morning. And the picture that, uh, that I'm showing you is, is the picture of what they found when they got back. It's as though she had marched around the house and she said, Lord, don't let the fire come here. And God answered her prayer. 
But but for every, it seems like, and you you already know this, and I bet your mind is already going with what I'm going to say right now. You know, for every person, for every story, it seems where where we have this wonderful story and we give glory to God in that moment, we have other stories that that don't quite turn out the same way. All the other homes in the neighborhood, they didn't make it. I'll never forget, and I've shared this some of the story of this before, when my dad was diagnosed with a lung condition, we, we, we had all really thought that it was cancer. And I'll never forget the day I learned the condition was pulmonary fibrosis. And, and, and I remember rejoicing that it wasn't cancer. Only my rejoicing was short-lived because I didn't do my homework. And I just knew I didn't hear the C word, and I thought, well, that's, that's great news. And it, it, it actually was very, very bad news. And I'll, I'll never forget, after that diagnosis, I remember taking my dad to a spring training baseball game, which was sort of our annual routine. And the very morning that I took him to the game, uh, his doctor, his primary physician, had delivered oxygen to uh, my mom and dad's house for him to have. And I can remember my dad being upset. That, that that happened. And I remember asking him at the ball game, we're at Roger Dean Stadium. I said, do you, do you feel like you need that? He said, no, I don't, I don't feel like I need that. And in a month's time, he, he couldn't breathe without it. And, and I can remember time and time again, you know, praying for God to heal my father and, and he didn't, and it didn't happen. And he passed away. And I can remember right after that, going on a mission trip and uh, taking our church on a mission trip and 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 reading some books about eternity and and the problem of struggle and the problem of evil and all these different things and I was sort of just deepening my faith in these moments sort of in a moment kind of practicing what I I preach to you on the weekends and 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 I I look back on that time as a time where where so many things about my life and my ministry and my preaching and teaching just reached new depths. And it all came out of the struggle of the grief I was experiencing over the loss of my father. And if I were to be candid with you, really, a lot of times when I'm preaching right now, I am preaching from the well that I dug in those years following his death. There is... There is this undeniable connection between our struggles and, and our faith in God growing. And, and, and this is the story that is before us. And so when I think about what I would want to say to us in this series about You know, now that we understand this truth, now that we know this is true, so what, Pastor Dale, would you say to me I'm to do in these moments? Here's what I would tell you. I would say, do what Mary and Martha did, which is bring those things to Jesus. Let him have them. Let him do what only he can do. I know because I have sensed this temptation in my own life that a lot of times when we are going through difficult experiences, it's those 
less than savory parts of our lives. It's our griefs. It's our losses. It's our brokennesses. A lot of times we have this overwhelming temptation to keep them to ourselves. It's the exact wrong thing to do. Jesus says, don't squirrel them away. Don't hide them. Bring them out into the open. Bring them to him. And he will do what only he can do in those moments. You know, it's interesting about this story. That uh, in this story, when Jesus says um, this illness, again, this is a whole new category for some of us, right? This illness, I'm going to, I'm going to get glory out of this. You know, this is the story where Jesus says for the very first time, okay, that he's the resurrection and the life, and that those who die will live in him. So if you think with me about this, the greatest promise that Jesus offers to all of humanity, forgiveness, of sins, you know, abundant life on earth, fulfilled life on earth, you know, eternal life with him in eternity. The epicenter of that truth comes on the heels of Lazarus' death. When in the pit of their grief, Mary and Martha, who are, you know, asking the Lord what many of us have been tempted to ask the Lord in our own moments of difficulty and loss. Lord, where were you? The Bible says that Jesus, he weeps. He just, he just meets them at the epicenter of the darkest moment of their lives. And he says to them, Mary and Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. In fact, I want you to see it. It's in verses 25 and 26. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life, and the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? We ask them that question, and I'm asking you that question. Do you believe it? Will you believe it? Will you let him meet you in the difficult moments of your life for his glory and for your growth? I don't have all the answers around this, but I can tell you this. This is one of the things people point to when they say it was in that moment where my faith took on a whole new level. He did it for Mary and Martha. Let's let him do it for us. Will you pray with me? Lord, I'm so thankful that you're fully willing to meet us in the difficult places of our lives. I'm, f- I'm so grateful, God, that you know, I can learn out of this story and all of its mystery that you're there for us, that you have arms and a heart filled with compassion and that you'll meet us at our point of need, that we're never, ever truly alone, but you're there. And even in areas of our lives, God, right now where we're tempted to say, Lord, I don't understand, or I didn't feel your presence, or I, I don't, I, it felt silent to me that there is coming a day 
through the very simple promise of you being the resurrection and life that you will make every wrong right. You will finish every single thing you've started. You will have the last word. And so God, today, let us rest in that truth and let us bring these things to you so that we, like Mary and Martha, may grow and know this God of resurrection and life. This we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Well, we're going to be with you next week. We're going to give you the last one, number five. We're looking forward to being with you in that time and looking forward to our reopening on the 27th. Go in his grace. Have a great day. God bless you. We'll see you soon.